Well, good morning, church family, and uh, um, some of you who might not know me, my name's Andrew Wong, and I'm uh, one of the uh, staff members here, Director of Discipleship, handling small groups and some classes and discipleship pathways for different, uh, different groups and different people. Uh, this morning, uh, we are going to talk about and we're going to discover uh, the truth about when God is not king. And maybe you might be thinking like, wow, this is the day after Christmas. It's getting so serious all of a sudden. <laughs> but it's interesting because Christmas and Easter and any other day that you think about in terms of a celebration uh, for, for, uh, to remember what God has done, any of these days can be replicated throughout the year. And so it doesn't take a special day for us to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day. It doesn't take a special day for us to recognize that Jesus Christ was born in a manger and gave his life for us. It, it's, it doesn't take a special day. And so therefore, the question that sometimes I ask myself is, do I treat Christmas or do I treat Easter as special days to amp up my spiritual walk with God so that the other days I can kind of just see if he would be kind of in my life? Is he truly king? We sing these songs about like, the, 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 the lordship of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is our king. And the question is, is he truly our king? So turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 19 to 46. 19 to 46. And we're going to read this passage and we're going to talk about what it means. And it's, we're going to evaluate what it means to be a person who claims to be a believer and yet at the same time does not truly place God on the throne of their lives. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you, Go up and take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear, or do not be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us, and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me, and I took 12 of your men, one man for each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. 
Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and, and brought it down to us, and they brought, it, brought us a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. Just as a man carries his son. In all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all this you did not trust the Lord your God who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and a cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Then the Lord heard the sound of the words and he was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his sons, I will give the land on which he has set foot because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there and I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by way to the Red Sea. Then you said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded, up his, girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not with you. Otherwise, you will be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. 
So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. The Old Testament was written so that we could get a glimpse of the reality of life. And I think it could relate to us because we so often, like Israel, and in this situation, like Israel, go back and forth with God trying to find out a way for him to fit into our lives rather than for us to fit into his kingdom, glory, and his perspective for your life. And I think so often we think that God is God, but then we also think that we really need to be the one that is served. And, and, and so often we forget that God is, is almighty and he is sovereign, he is all loving, but his purpose is for you and for me is not to, to be served in a sense of like we are the ones that get whatever we want. We are to serve and love God who has loved us and served us. So let's get this straight. When we look at the Old Testament, it's, it's a reflection. It's a time to evaluate. And this morning, I want to ask, are you evaluating your life in 2021? Do you have time? I know this, this past season, this past year has been so busy with all these different things, transitions, and uh, I think there's a lot of mental fatigue. I can sense that for myself, emotional fatigue, and I'm just, I'm just tired. And I know many of us feel the same way. And it's okay. And the question we have to come back to, is God still the king of our lives? Is he the central focus among all the focuses of all the rest of the world? Here are some order of events um, throughout this, this passage. Remember, Deuteronomy was written, uh, the, the word Deuteronomy means second law. It was written during a time uh, whereby uh, the, the people of Israel were right at the entrance on the west side near the king's highway, near the, the city of, um, of Hormah, and then going into the west side, and it was written uh, by Moses in order to encourage the people to see what God has done. It was, it was a reflection. It was, it was basically showing the people, this is what God has done, and this is what people have done in the past. This is what Israel has done And the, the order of instructions here, the order of events here is that God gives his instructions and promises from verse 19 to 21. Verse 19 to 21. He, he tells them, you must now go from the, the, to, to the hill country of the Amorites. And commanded us, we, and then when they went to Kadesh Barnea, which is right at the south tip of the entrance into the land of Canaan. They were to take over this land. Notice what it says in verse 21. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go and take possession of it as the Lord your God of the fathers has spoken to you. Do not be fearful. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. You see, God has a plan. He had a plan for Israel. And God told Israel, are you going to believe in what my promises are? 
are for you. You are going to take this land. Do not be fearful. Do not be dismayed. This is my promise for you. You're on the south side and you're about to enter into this land. Are you going to do it? But there's hesitation. You see, following along in verse 22 to 28. Now here's what's really interesting. God did not tell those, those 12 people, 12 spies to go into the land in order for them to spy it out and to check it out. It says in verse 22, Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us the word of the way which we should go up and, which, and, and the cities that we, sh- we shall enter. And, and verse 23, this, this thing pleased me, and I took 12 men of your men, one from each tribe. It kind of sense, it was kind of like this political thing. I got to make sure everybody is represented. And so, you know, Moses says, okay, go ahead. You know, we're, we're going to send out all of these men so that they can get the, you know, the proper perspective. And just in case, just in case God isn't right, and you know, you know maybe, 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 maybe we really shouldn't be taking this land. Who are they trusting? They're trusting in Moses. They're trusting in, 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 their, own, uh, um, in their own judgment. And they turned up and went into the hill country. Now, the hill country is a place, a beautiful place. The valley of Eshcol was, was, was flowing with, 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 with grapes and, and many different juicy fruits, as it says, as it, as it describes in the scripture. And this is, is a valley like that is right at the tip of Heshbon, which is just north of that valley. They could have just went right in and experienced all the goodness of Canaan, the promised land. But no, they went in and they said, oh, we got good fruits. It's wonderful. But they're, they're these massive men, the sons of Anakim. And Anak was this massive man of war in the Old Testament. Many Bible scholars say that, you know, uh, Goliath was a, a descendant of the sons of Anakim. And so you can imagine like tens of thousands of Goliaths there, and yes, it's intimidating, and yes, it's scary, and yes, it may be dangerous, but what did God promise? That you will take possession of the land. And it is fearful, it is, it is, it is causing the, the nation to be um, fearing and fretting, but God promised you will take possession of the land. So there's self-preservation in verse uh, 27, or verse 28 actually. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of heaven. Okay, let me, let me just tell you right now, uh, they were not saying this in, um, uh, in, in, in public. They were saying this in their tents. In their, in their own dwellings. So everyone was just basically talking among themselves and saying, no, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. It's, we can't go in there. Yeah, did you hear what Bob said? You hear what Frank said about, about that guy that, that he saw in the land? That guy was seven foot four. They were scared. And because of self-preservation and instead of obedience to God, they decided not to walk by faith. God was not their king. And then third, 
God promises to fight for them, verse 29 to 31. You know, God, you know, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he himself will fight on your behalf, Moses tells them. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, he's reminding them that God will fight. Not only will you take the possession of the land, but here's another truth for you, Israel, that God will be a great warrior for you. Our God is a warrior. He will fight for you. And so often we forget that. We forget, you know, yes, we understand there's promises of God and then there's our situation, but do we remember that God will fight for us? You see, when God is king, it is, it is not just the reality of his promises that come through and come true, but it's the reality of the, his status. His status is a great warrior. His status is the king of kings. His status is the one who will fight our battles. God promises this. Uh, with verse 32. But for all this, you did not trust the Lord, your God. You did not trust the Lord your God. And, and that, that was their choice. They decided not to trust God even though he promised that he would fight for them. And the consequences of their unbelief would be that a whole generation of people under Moses would stay in the wilderness and 40 years later they would all die. And then the kids, the children, who were not even able to make decisions grew up and they were able to possess the land that God promised. God always, in his divine power and sovereignty, shows us that he is just and holy, and there are consequences. When we look at the Old Testament, it is so clear. There are consequences to disbelief. Let me say that one more time. There are consequences to disbelief and not trusting God. It doesn't say that Moses didn't go to heaven and he was not fit for heaven. And No, it's not that. He did not go into the promised land. It was a place of blessing, a place that God wanted to bless him with. There's consequences. And then finally, Israel's ignorance and presumption, verse 41 to verse 46. We've sinned against the Lord. We've, we will indeed go up and fight. And, and, and this is the section where I'm going to talk a little bit about presumption. The sin of presumption when we begin to walk away from God, not trust him, not, not believe that he is our warrior and that he'll fight for us, not believe his promises, when God is not the king of our lives, when he is not the Lord of our lives, and let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, we need to look at the Old Testament and evaluate our lives, not because it gives us, oh, it's hopeless, it's hopeless. No, it gives us hope because we do not want to be like them. And we have a choice by the power of God's spirit, we have a choice to walk in God's spirit, to walk as Christ so, so, so um, demonstrated in his life, a righteous life, a life of faith and trust in God. And so I, I just hope that when we read these things, we're not, we're not, we don't feel hopeless, but we are hopeful because God shows us a way out. So here's a little bit of a map. Um, 
for, for you to, to understand what was going on. So out of Goshen on the west side, or the yes, to the west side, from Egypt down to Sinai, Mount Sinai, down the wilderness of wanderings, down there is what we call the wilderness of sin. And at Mount Sinai, God gives the Ten Commandments, the law, to uh, the people of God. And from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea is 11 days walk. It's not that long, all right? And when you think about it, from Mount Sinai to uh, Jerusalem or Mount Sinai to Lachish, which is basically in the inner parts of Canaan, it's not too long, maybe 12, 14, 15 days walk. It's not, it doesn't, it's not going to take them 40 years to get there. But the problem is that when they got to Kadesh Barnea, they, they started thinking, okay, well, you know, we're almost there. Let's, let's, let's do this. So they, they, number two, as you see, there's kind of a little bit of a, a, a you there. They go in and they, and they, and they try to t- take a look and, and, and spy out the land and they come back and they realize, no, I can't do it. And then number three is where they walk around and around and around, and around that area, down into the um, Mount Seir, um, closer to uh, Ezion Geber. So that was the area where they had wandered for 40 years. Just imagine wandering around for 40 years and just in that area. You're so close to Canaan. It's not like 5,000 miles away. This is, you know couple hundred, maybe less than a hundred miles away. This is so close. And yet they wandered. And then if you can see number four. Number four is when, when and, and this is the context of Deuteronomy, they go through the west side. And, and Joshua helps them to go through the west side into Jericho, crossing the Jordan River. And as you can see, from there they go to Tanakh and then down to Lachish. So that's the conquer of Canaan um, in the book of Joshua. So you can see this is the context of what's been happening in that day. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, that green circle. Under the next slide here. So when God is not king, here are five points I want to uh, bring out, and this is application to our own lives. When God is not king, this is what happens. Unfortunately, this is what happens. We blame God for doing wrong. Fear grips our lives. We've refused to trust the promises of God. We react with foolishness, arrogance, and presumption. And we have tears of regret, but no repentance. Let's walk through that together. We blame God for doing wrong. We blame God for doing wrong. Notice what it says there in the highlight and underline. Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us up out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Wow. Who put those words in the minds of the Israelites? Well, I can say this. When God is not king, a lot of thoughts come into, this, into, into our minds, doesn't it? A lot of twisted, twisted, evil things come into our minds. God hates me. God is not for me. God has abandoned me. And the truth of the matter is, God has done none of that. He has done 
None of that. But when God is not king, we blame him for, for, for things. Uh, we, we blame him for, for the fact that when we go through a situation, when it doesn't go our way, or when somehow we've been praying for the longest time and it isn't answered the way that we expect it, we, we just blame him and say, God's not for me. No, no, he's not. He's probably punishing me for, for my sins right now. He's probably just, you know, just crossing his arms up in heaven and saying, you know what? You got to learn your lesson here. I'm not going to give you this. You don't deserve it. I don't even like you. Wow. Listen to that for a moment. Have you ever thought of that before? Because there are moments in my life that I have. When God is not the king of my life, I begin to have these twisted thoughts and I begin to blame God. And he has done no wrong in my life, only good. And, they, and then not only that, we begin to look at the in, in environment and begin to see the, the people are bigger and taller than we and the, 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 the city is fortified to heaven and so God definitely is against us. God is, he should have paved the way so that we could have, you know, this whole place to ourselves. We don't need to fight anybody. We shouldn't. We should have this really easily. But no, God allowed for the people of Israel to go through the southern part so that they could meet these giants so that God could test their faith to see whether or not they believe that God is their king. And so often in our lives, God puts something in our place around us where there are giants, there's things that are just too great for us, and we cannot overcome it. And then God says to us and shows us a way, and he says, you will overcome. But so often we're like, no, 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 you're against me, God. I pray, we pray together, that God would help us to understand that in a, in, a, in a time of testing where he knows that we face a big enemy, that we would respond in faith and in trust and not in fear. Which leads me to the second point. Fear grips our lives. Verse 29 to 31. Then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. Uh, do not be shocked nor fear them. This obviously like shocked and, and caused much fear in people. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. I don't know about you, but like there have been times in my life where I have sensed a great fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of situations with my, my health. Fear of, 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 of things that I cannot control. Fear of my enemies or people accusing me or, or, or going against me and, and, I, and I can't defend myself. Fears of, of, of when this world is going to, to come back to some sort of normalcy. And a fear, fear of the fact that that might not happen anytime soon. 
Fear of, of, of all these things. And it grips us. It paralyzes us. And I'm about to say this. It's okay. As long as you know what to do about it. It's not that God says, you know what, like, you're totally wrong when you have fear. You sinful person. You sinful, 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 sinful. You should not fear. You are just so sinful. No. He recognizes the situation. He, God knows everything, and yet he wants us to know that he is king so that we will not fear. The recognition of God as king helps us to, to know that he is in control so that our fear dissipates. Only God can do that for us. Only God can show us that fear in our lives is not a sin. It is an opportunity to trust God. It is a mechanism whereby God shows us and, 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 and reveals to us that we need him. So the next time you fear anything, anything at all, recognize it is an opportunity and God is giving you this opportunity to run to him, to trust him with the smallest thing and with the biggest challenges of this world. God wants us to trust him. And that leads us to the third point. We refuse to trust the promises of God. Verse 32 to 33 so the text here says, for, and for all this, you did not trust the Lord. For all this, you did not trust the Lord. All that's been said, you did not trust God. Who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. They've already experienced that previously, going through Sinai, going back up to Kadesh Barnea. They've already experienced that. So Moses is reminding them, God is going to be your present help. And yet you do not, you still don't trust him. You still don't trust him. And I, I really think, brothers and sisters, this is not about... Uh, um, Oh, it's, this is so difficult. I really find it hard to trust God. It's really difficult because my circumstance is like this. I don't think it's like that in, this, in the Bible here. They've, given, they've been given many opportunities to trust God. And they continue to rebel and refuse to trust him. You know, sometimes when I talk to somebody, it's like and, and about trusting God in a certain circumstance... It's not that we, 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 we want to con, like conjure up, oh, enough trust. I need to have enough trust and enough faith. Oh, just pray for me more, Andrew. Pray for me more. I just need to have more faith. No. At times, it's not about getting more faith. It's about the fact that you're refusing to trust God. You're actually saying no unless your circumstance changes. Then you trust God. It's more of a refusal to trust God rather than, you know, like, I really believe in what he said and I'm going to stand firm on it. 
We refuse to trust the promises of God. And then fourth, we react with foolishness, arrogance, and presumption. And here's the point where we're going we're gonna to land a little bit uh, deeper here. Foolishness, arrogance, and presumption. Notice what it says. We have sinned against the Lord. So after, you know, um, after Moses says, by the way, you guys are not going to enter the, the, the land of uh, flowing with milk and honey. You're not going to be in the land of Canaan, but it's going to be given to your kids. Notice what they do. Notice what it says there. What do they say? We have sinned against the Lord. Oh, we have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight. Okay, I got to make it. I got to fix the problem. I got to fix the problem. Hopefully God's going to accept me again. I'm going to go up and fight just as the Lord God commanded us. Okay, that's good. That's good. Are you trying to make up for your, what you've done in the past? Are you trying to, 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 to now say, okay, now I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to perform. Now I'm going to get better. Now I'm just going to continue on to do this so that God would accept me. And I think this is the problem from, from Genesis to Revelation is that we so often play this game with God to say, okay, as long as I do this, God is going to accept me. But you know what? I'm still going to make excuses for the other areas of my life, but you know... But, but if God is, is, is going to take something away, I'm just going to do this so that he's going to give it back to me. You cannot bribe God. You cannot bribe the Lord God. He is righteous and holy, and he will cause anything in your life for, his good, for your good and his glory, and he's going to do it. You cannot sit with God and kind of negotiate with him on your terms. You must go to him and you must turn from your sin and trust him. But notice what it says in here. It says, and every man of you girded on his weapons of war, so they got prepared and regarded it as easy. Oh yeah, I, I got this. God, I got this now. We're gonna go in, we're gonna fight this war, we're gonna do it. Because we are strong. And those giants, yeah, I know. But we are strong. We're going to do this. Who, who, who just said that he was going to fight for them? Did they just not for, did you just forget what Moses said to them? God is only going to fight for them. It's going to be a very fearful, difficult situation. But if you trust God and you have trust in him that he is going to fight your wars, then he is going to do so, not you. And that is what, um, that is what, well, they, they totally disregarded that. They regarded it as easy. That means they didn't have a repentant heart. And then the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. Otherwise, you will be defeated before your enemies. He's basically saying, okay, listen up. God is not with you right now. So just so that you would avoid destruction, um, I'm, I'm telling you this out of consideration for your health and safety. Uh, just don't go. Don't go and don't fight because God is not with you. And yet, 
in their arrogance, in their arrogance, they would not listen. Instead, they rebelled against the command of the Lord. So God commanded them two things, right? One was to, one was to go into the land because he would give them possession and he would fight for them. He, they disobeyed that. And then, when he said that, basically he wasn't going to be with them, he told them to stay back, and then they disobeyed again. And then notice what it says there. This is a very, very, uh, this word is not used very often in the Bible, but you have to know this word. And some of you who are younger here, you have to look this up in the dictionary and study this word here. And acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. Presumptuously. The word presumptuously entails an attitude of insubordination. I presume that I can do this. I presume that this is going to happen, so I'm going to do it. I don't care what other people think or what other people say. I'm just going to presume that it's going to happen. Wow. You see, arrogance leads to presumption. And when God is not king, beware. It leads towards that. And when you continue to live your life out of presumption, guess what? There are going to be presumptuous sins. Turn with me over to Psalm 19. It's not here on the screen, but you can turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And we're going to start in verse... 12. Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can discern his errors? I'm reading from the NASB. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. And also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Wow. The power of presumptuous sins is a great transgression against God. When we presume that we should live a certain way or do certain things without God in the picture, that is a presumptuous sin. I don't care if you're doing something spiritual or if you think you are. The thing is that, are, is God the king of your life? Is he driving the motivation for what you do? And are you following his will and not your own? Because a sin of presumption is just as deceitful as just a, you know, a little quiet white lie, right? Oh, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not too bad. I mean, you know what? I, I go to church. I go to Bible studies. I am, I'm involved in my church. I serve. I preach. I whatever. But, but you know what? This, this little thing is, you know, I don't think it's going to really cause that much damage. So God's going to kind of just let that go. No! God in his word shows us that it is a great transgression. And that that's why the psalmist says, let them not rule over me and I will be blameless. And I will be acquitted of great transgression. He's talking about presumptuous sins. Brothers and sisters, Israel acted out of presumption because 
Israel thought they had a right theology. They thought, oh yes, God said this, I didn't obey, so I'm going to repent and do it. And, and, and then when God said, I'm not with you and don't do it, they're like, no, 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 I got this, I got this. And that's the downfall of any believer. When, 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 we, when we stand before a holy God, I think one of the biggest areas of failure in our life before holy God one day when we stand before him and he, 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 he lists our sins and of course the, bl- the blood of Jesus Christ covers over our sins so, so, so that we are saved and sanctified but at the same time we are held accountable. You need to know this. That presumptuous sin will probably be at the top of the list. So brothers and sisters, I'm not preaching this message to make you feel down. I'm preaching this message to myself and saying, I want to go away from presumptuous sin. I want to repent from presumptuous sin in my life so that I can live a righteous, holy life, blameless before the Lord. I want to ask God what he thinks before I just do something. I want to humble myself. I don't want to be insubordinate to the Bible. I want to be subordinate to the Bible. I want to be submissive to God's word and I want to live according to his word and I don't want an ounce of me to fall out of line with the will of God I don't want an ounce of me to fall out of line with the will and the purpose of God because he is my king but when God is not king beware you can fall into great presumptuous sin. And then the Amorites who lived in that country came out and chased them and crushed them from Seir to Hormah. And then finally, when, when we don't treat God as king, we, we react with foolishness, arrogance, and presumption, and finally, tears of regret, but no repentance. Notice what it says there. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, and that days you spent there. And so they actually traveled down further down into Mount Seir, further down, and that's where they continue to loop around and do all kinds of things because for 40 years, and they're grumbling and complaining. And as you know, in those 40 years, In those 40 years, they learned one thing. That God is a holy God and he will fulfill his promises even though they're consequential. And God is a holy God and he wants them to learn the lesson of the wilderness, which is, I am the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. The grace that is involved in in, in the wilderness was to show the people of God. I'm giving you an opportunity in these 40 years to repent and turn. So this ain't going to cut it. I wept. Can I go back? I wept, okay. I returned to God. Can I get what I want now? Can you just help me get back into the land of Canaan? Because those fruits were awesome. 
those persimmons, those watermelons, those whatever, everything was so great over there. Please, please give it back to me, God. No. Because they didn't have tears of repentance. They just had tears of regret. And you can never go back to God with a clear conscience if you have tears of regret. God wants tears of repentance. I trust you now, God. I don't just, I'm not just sorrowful for what I've done wrong. I now trust you. I know I've done wrong and I know there's consequences, but now I turn to you and I want to live for you. And I don't want to just expect things to go back to the way I expected it to be. And maybe that's the lesson we need to learn. That the past two years have been a bit of a wilderness wandering for all of us. I mean, when you think about it, God is trying to teach us something, right? He wants to show us who he is. And he wants us to respond. So let's not keep wandering. Let's not keep doing this. Let's not keep, like, you know, him at bay and, 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 and putting us on the pedestal and saying, no, I want my life back to be normal. I want things to be normal. I want this. I want that. I want my finances to be right. I want... Look, there are a lot of things going on in this world. It's incredibly painful, and I'm not, you know, dismissing that. But there's, there's, there's an inner rebellion that we need to repent of. And in 2021, into 2022, we need to repent of this inner rebellion against God and fall at his feet and to say, God, your will, your will, your will for my family, your will for my job, your will for my marriage, and I will follow you and I will not follow anyone else or anything else. I will follow you and I will love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and I will love my neighbor as I love myself. And finally, finally, we do not have to be like Israel. Sorry, my, my nose runs every time I preach. I, I probably mentioned this many times. I just, just hand, ends up doing that. Uh, Hebrews 3, and, and, and let's just read a little bit. I'm going to read the passage before that, and we're going to go straight into verse 12. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where their fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And the verse 12, here it is, here it is. Take care, brethren, that there be no, that there not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We do not have to be like Israel. We have the answer in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Now go, let's go. Let's live this way. Let's trust God together. Let's not live in fear. Let's not live by, by, by other people's standards. And let's remember that God is a warrior and that he will fight for us and that his promises are sure and true. And so whatever situation and circumstance you're, you're in, I pray that 
we will have opportunities to encourage one another, exhort one another. The word exhort means encourage every day as long as it's called today so that we would not be hardened. And listen, it's very easy to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and it is very deceitful. So brothers and sisters, Christmas has come, Christmas is gone. What is different for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we do not have to be like the Israelites, that this warning is for us, that God, you have provided us your word not to just give us hope uh, as, as, you know, some fluffy idea, but hope that is grounded in real change, in real change in our life. That, God, we can really be transformed, as it says, by the renewing of our mind in chapter 12 of Romans. We can be that way if we understand the cost. And the cost is really to love you, to surrender to you, because you have loved us first. And we can joyfully submit our lives to you because you love us. And even in the midst of suffering, to know that there is joy in suffering because, God, you are near. And because, Lord, you have suffered on our behalf and you suffered for our sake. So, Lord God, we pray for a different perspective. We pray for a renewed perspective into 2022. We pray that, God, you would do a mighty work in our lives. Help us, oh God. Help us not to be like the Israelites who treated you many times as not, their, as, 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 as not the true king. But Lord, we pray that you'll continue to continually take rulership over our lives and that we would surrender and obey you and trust you. Thank you for your word. For it is true today and forevermore. In Jesus' name.